This episode was recorded in September 2022. Welcome to the One Stiletto in the Grave podcast with your hosts, Sonny Ormond and Jane James. Well, hello, everyone. Grab yourselves a GMT or a coffee or three and flop on your settee. <laughs> you see what I did there? Or kick off your slingbacks and snuggle down into your favorite listening chair. Close your eyes. Think of birds cooing, llamas pooing, and cows mooing. And where are you? Ambridge, of course. Oh, no. But it's a big, oh, yes. Because our guest today is none other than Archer's actress, the fabulous Felicity Finch. Flick, as she is also known, has played the iconic Ruth Archer brilliantly for 35 years. And folk may be not quite so aware that apart from being a very fine actress, she is also a very fine producer of features and documentaries, many of which she has made for World Service and Radio 4, including Woman's Hour, the latter of which she has also hosted. Oh yes, and she's also one of the kindest people I know. I will never forget how welcoming she was when I first joined the Archers 22 years ago. So welcome, Flick. Janie and I are thrilled to be able to chat to you today. Well, it's lovely to be here. Absolutely delighted. And I do remember Sunny all those years ago saying how very, very kind you'd been on her first day when she met you in studio. Mm. That's, you know, that's absolutely true. Um, Can we, yeah, so can we start by asking you about you know, did you audition for the Archers? What? How did it all come about? Oh, it was such a long time ago. It's all I can say. <laughs> but I remember it very vividly. No, I bet it was, you do. So it was back in 1987, and I was working at Newcastle Playhouse at the time. And I remember that. Um, I think it must have been the Archers that told me this was what had happened rather than the director telling me this is the director of the theatre. Because what happened was a, a, a producer from The Archers had the bright idea when they knew that they wanted Ruth to be from the northeast, asked mm. the director of Newcastle Playhouse at that time if he could put together a list of actresses that he'd worked with um, that he could recommend. And I was on that list. I've got right. no idea who else was on that list, but I was on that <laughs> list. So that's how I got the audition. Um, and then the audition, it's, I hadn't done any radio, but then I think a lot of people that go into the arches have not necessarily done any radio. Mm. Well, then, you see, you didn't do, um, you didn't really do radio at drama school. I mean, they do now, as we know, do a lot of training in radio, mm. but we didn't then. But it didn't seem to be um, any kind of problem that you hadn't done radio. Uh, mm. So... I remember the audition, I did a scene with Tim Benton, who plays David, and yeah. I also remember, which I think is more unusual, is I was asked to do uh, a speech, a monologue, anything of my choosing. And it just mm. happened that I'd been using as an audition speech for theatre auditions for some time, um, a, a speech from a Willie Russell play called Breeze Block Park, and Willie Russell, of course, is a Liverpoolian playwright. Yeah. But Liverpool to Newcastle, actually, it transfers very well the accent and vice versa. So if you've got a piece in Newcastle, you know, sort of Geordie, whatever, you could change mm-hmm. it to Liverpool and, and vice mm-hmm. versa. So I had done, um, I'd worked on this piece because I really, really liked it. I hadn't played the part. And um, I'd, so it was, it was already within me. It was already a part of me. And mm-hmm. I loved it. And it was quite funny, mm-hmm. as well as being... Um, mm-hmm you know, showing something of what you can do. So I think it was probably, hopefully it was because of the 
you know, the, 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 doing the scene with Tim. But I, I, my, I sense mm. that because it was such a lovely piece and I felt very comfortable with it, that that might have had something mm. to do with it as well. So that was my ambition. Oh, brilliant. And, and were you familiar with the Archer's flick at the time? Did you listen to it? I didn't. Um, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, I knew what it was, but I didn't. Mm. And it was quite odd, really, because people often talk about that transition they make from listening to music all the time into speech radio. Uh, and I had started to make that transition. Because I remember I really mm. loved um, listening to interesting, I wouldn't say the the sort of more basic kind of phone-ins, but interesting phone-ins. And there was, um, on LBC at that time, there was a guy called Brian Hazard who was doing a phone. I remember oh, being gorgeous. really intrigued by mm. this, um, this phone-in. And uh, so I was interested in listening to people, you know, expressing their views and, and people asking interesting questions and sort of getting the lie of the land of how people felt about things. Um, so... I'm trying to think what the question was now. That was really good, wasn't it? What was the question about... about oh, about the archers. <laughs> That's what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, did you listen? Did you listen? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I I then hadn't moved into listening to... I think I'd listened to a bit of Radio 4, but I hadn't moved into listening to the archers. But my mother, and I can't remember if she told me this before or after, I mean, she was one of those women that was doing the ironing when Grace Archer died. I mean, she absolutely remembered yeah. it. But what I do remember is when I was offered the part, getting getting home, and my um, answer phone was full of people had just gone do 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 do. So, <laughs> and I think I sensed very quickly, this is quite a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. having you know, I realised very quickly how many people knew the role and how much it meant to people. I mean, I knew it existed, but I didn't listen. So I did a very very quick catch up and I would have done that before the audition as well you know found out as much mm. as I could about the program um, so, so. but that was in the days before you could listen back of course wasn't it of course but you know I would have read about it and everything and found out more and found out from my mum and, um, and all of that so yeah yeah did you, were you nervous? Do you remember being nervous? Or was it because you weren't really quite sure what you were auditioning for? Probably you were quite relaxed, really, were you? I think I was, yeah, I think I was more intrigued than, than anything else because not mm. having done radio. And I think possibly mm. because I don't remember it being a huge big deal moving into this medium mm. that I hadn't worked in before, even mm. though I'm aware that there is a technical transition, whenever you know, young actors come into the programme uh, mm. uh, and look incredibly nervous about it. Mm. Uh, you know, if I get chatting to them, I try and say, you know, it's not, it's not really any different mm. to anything else. I mean, I know they know mm. from drama school or whatever, but it, mm. you know, I do, I do have this theory. If you believe in the character you're playing, you believe in what mm. you're doing, then mm. it will come across. Now, I know there is more mm. to it than that. And some people don't mm. have a, that, kind of extra something that maybe radio needs that in that I think there is an instinct with mm. some actors of that thing of being able to almost know listen third ear I would call it where you mm. know that you've only got mm. your voice but you can also sort of hear what mm. the listener's hearing without it bringing you out mm, of what yeah. you're doing there's that kind mm. of awareness mm. so I just remember it mm. being I mean of course I remember having to learn about approaches and you know, various mm. technical stuff that you have to be aware of and, you know, if you're shouting very loudly, you don't do it straight into the mic and all of that. But I think I've always felt that, dare I say, 
because I'm in hallowed mm. company here. That, um, <laughs> say that it, say it. There is a certain amount that one can learn, but I think, I think there is also something, radio can be something that you can sort of fall into without having done it. Mm. I think mm. you can really if you just listen mm. and are aware and if you work on it. Yeah, but then maybe I'm... You know, maybe I'm um, underestimating. Maybe I was just lucky in that I. But I think felt it's interesting it what you easy. say, Flick. About I think it's interesting what you say about that 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 inner ear, or that's. And I think some people, some actors, have almost like an edit button. They can almost hear themselves. They're always almost standing outside directing themselves. I think. I think, and not everybody has that. Um, I think it can be learned, but I think probably those actors who are instinctively good at radio probably have that anyway mm. uh, I, I don't know it's a very interesting mm. point actually but I think but in terms of so, sorry sorry no you carry on no all I was going to say was it's interesting that you did the audition with Tim because clearly they were bringing the character of Ruth in because there was going to be even at that stage they hoped a pairing between these two characters clearly that's what it was you know what they planned I don't know. I have to say, I don't know. Um, and just to go back to the technical briefly, I mm. think it's a very different thing at the moment. Um, I mean, I know you've talked about COVID and how we've been doing it on separate microphones, and we still are. Mm. And I must say mm. that there, it, that is, you know, one has to really not feel that you're projecting a little bit too much because you're trying to reach the person that's a few feet away from you and actually they just mm -hmm. be you're just chatting to them and they're in front of you and also the mm. intimacy you know mm. you really have been doing some very intimate scenes this week with one of the younger characters and um, I want to be able to be really close to him and I can't so that's mm. quite I do I've had to really have a good talking to myself look you know we know we know what we're doing we know what you know the microphone then becomes the the other character but mm. not being able to have mm. that physical contact with your fellow actor when you've got uh, you know an intimate scene is is um is i think has been um, quite difficult uh, mm. and adjusting to that technically what it means in terms of your voice when the person isn't next to you they're actually a few feet away from you mm. but they're next to you in terms of mm. what you're doing in the scene um yeah Sorry, Sonny, I interrupted yeah, no, what you. No, you didn't at all. No, not at all. And and it has that has been challenging. That there's no there's no doubt. And I, I've always found it interesting as a radio actor, you know, because I've had scenes. Particularly, I, I was thinking about Mike Fenton Stevens when he came in to play Paul, and some of those scenes were incredibly intimate. And I remember having the opportunity because if you're doing several episodes and scenes, you can do, just having the opportunity to really investigate as to, as to how little voice I could use and how how it was still really it informs very well it's almost like less is more in a way and I found that whole experience really extraordinary because you can't do that in theatre you can't do that in tv but you can do that in radio you can really bring it right down can't you, you can actually do that and it brings it, it can bring the listener in even more it is a fascinating medium and yeah. I continue to learn all the time when I'm doing it Mm -mm, indeed um, you started to ask a very interesting question which I then went back to the technical do you remember what it was Sunny? Mm. no it's gone now um, it's because I'm very asking, old were you starting to ask about the bond between David and Ruth oh, yes. The oh yeah. yes right yes, thank yeah, you yeah. Jane thank you um, yes that was it yeah. about I mean 
to be honest, I don't think that they knew that Ruth and David were going to be together. I don't think they did. I think it was a possibility, mm. but I really don't think so. To be, I mean, partly because to begin with, as far as my memory, if my memory serves me correctly, I was told I was only going to be in it for a, quite a short time. And then that, I think, I think quite a lot of characters, mind you, when you come in new, they'll give you a contract for, a, well, we only get it by month anyway, but, you know, say, well, it'll be this. Because I think they want to get the feel of whether it's going to work out or not, you know, whether mm. the, the characters that they're bringing together work together or whatever. So even though Ruth came in for a year's work experience at Brookfield, that didn't necessarily mean mm. that she was going to stay for a year, and I think I absolutely knew that. Um, and I think it's funny because, I mean, Ruth and David didn't get on at all, and he was no. really... I mean, it wasn't that she didn't get on with him, it was that he treated her like a piece of the bottom of his shoe really he was extremely sexist and um mm. you know his attitude really was what use is uh you know a girl around the farm i mean that really was or a young woman around the farm. that really really mm. was his attitude um so i had to really kind of just get on with it and ignore him mm. so i i think it took time for them to make the decision that this could be the person that he marries um, or gets together with. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I have a different uh, attitude towards that than the listener. I don't know, but I couldn't see it. And when I I remember distinctly mm. the day I got the script, which said David David kisses Ruth, and I nearly fell off my chair. What? Did you? <laughs> yes. Ah, that's so interesting because because uh, David uh, David had a girlfriend. I mean, I remember listening to it all those years ago. And David had a girlfriend called, I think, Sophie. Sophie, because she resurfaced again, didn't she, at some point? Um, so, yeah, it seemed very in, very unlikely. But, uh, yeah, and I was just curious as to whether they said to you when you auditioned, well, actually, you know, you'll probably be in it for the next 40 years. Oh, Is that all right with you? But, <laughs> but they didn't. <laughs> Jane, far from it. I don't think they would ever, ever, ever. I think, yeah, I don't think anyone in the Arches, even... In, the point that, you know, as more mature characters uh, are at, yeah. would ever presume that, you know, you can never think beyond the kind of present storylines, really. So, um, yeah, so they they didn't... I mean, and, and the story of how all that happened, I think is quite interesting because it wasn't that long. Once we did get together, I could see that there'd been... You know, there had been... A, I think the writers had picked up on a real kind of connect mm. something between the mm. way Tim was and the way I was that we brought to our characters that did spark yeah. off each other. Uh, I think there must have been a sense of that before the David Kisses Ruth. Mm. But then it wasn't that long before I remember I was, um, I was ringing the Archer's office about something and the editor at the time, Liz Rigby, answered the phone um, before I said, you know, I just started saying, she said, congratulations. And I said, what? <laughs> she said, congratulations. You're getting married. <laughs> well, again, <laughs> I just thought, oh, wow. my God. My first fleeting thought was, well, nobody asked me. And, of course, my next thought was, well, <laughs> what an extraordinary thing. And I, so, I, so yeah. it was all quite, um, it was quite unexpected. But, it's, I mean, mm. it wasn't that slower sort of developing of the relationship 
Um, so it was unexpected, but once it got going, I could see. But then I heard some time later that there had been, and I don't know, I don't think this is an apocryphal story, that there had been a kind of meeting of writers, and I don't know whether it's a production team as well, about whether the, when they were thinking about Ruth becoming the new Mrs. Archer, whether it was okay to have David Archer's wife, you know, the new Mrs. Archer, mm. um, with a regional accent or with a northeastern wow. accent. With a northeastern wow. accent. Wow. Yeah. Apparently wow. there was a meeting. Wow. That was back in 1988 or 9. And that was a time when there were very few regional accents mm. on the mm. radio. And, mm. um, I mean, I won't actually say which character but let's just say there are some characters in the arch that did start off with accents and mm. they're just mm. really they're not there they so disappears i think ether. that we um, know who they are <laughs> so it's a mm. it, it, it was you know that's a strange thing to hear when you when you're then ensconced mm. as the you know as mrs archer but mm. also great that mm. they i mean the positive is that's brilliant that they thought well doesn't yes. matter and sophie you see he mm. wasn't with her when ruth came to the, they'd already finished they were engaged and they'd separated oh, they? yeah right they had then she was terribly proper terribly proper mm -hmm. so ruth mm. was a real contrast so it was really a very um forward-looking and I think Liz Rigby was the mm. kind of woman that absolutely would have believed that you could have a strong female character like young mm. woman coming into the arches and I think mm. probably thinking it was a very good very good step forward to have that kind mm. of a woman yeah. so yeah that's the story of how Ruth infiltrated no. <laughs> infiltrated yeah. Ambridge and, and and that has been the brilliant thing about Ruth hasn't she yes she's married to David yes she's the farmer's wife but she's very much her own person and that's what's been brilliant and, and as you say very forward thinking how how do you feel it's probably a huge question but how do you feel Ruth has changed um, through the years that you've been playing her well I think um, I think for when she was younger and I would say that was during her 20s and early 30s she was she was I mean, she's always been very strong-minded, very direct, um, very determined. And I think sometimes then she might, she would um, sort of battle about something or not let something go or not maybe um, negotiate more about something if she had very firm opinions or mm. feelings about something that she really wanted to happen or thought that something had happened that was not okay. Whereas I think the first change... Um, was I think when she had breast cancer I think that was a big um, I think after that I think that really mellowed her and that was in 2000 and she was 34 mm. and yeah. I think mm. that was a real I think because that was one of those big archer stories where it's done you know as we all talk about in real time so yeah. over a long period of time and Mm. I just remember working on that and how well it was dealt with and um, and particularly because it also very much showed what David was going through as well and the emotional, mm. you know, how it maybe mm. changed the relationship or made the relationship very vulnerable and all. all and I remember there was, were reactions from people saying how good it was to hear the males, you know, what the yep. man's going through at the same time. But for Ruth herself, I think it was... Um, a big 
change in her life that that could happen to her mm. um and just as if I, and I mean, I remember us getting a letter from a young woman at that time saying, thank you, thank you. Uh, and she was going into hospital the next week for a mastectomy. And she said she would never have looked for that lump if it hadn't been that she was listening to the archers because mm. she didn't know that young women could get breast cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah. you know, although the, we all know the archers isn't setting out to educate in the same way that it was when it, first started broadcasting I think the important um, issues that it deals with some kind sometimes do have a as we know strong effect on listeners mm. in different ways so I think I mean that did have a big um, effect on Ruth and I think just in a way that it softened her and I think mm, she, yes. she didn't lose her determination and her forthrightness and her directness but I think much more likely to negotiate uh, mm rather than battle to the end to actually negotiate and I think that also passed into if you know David can get very riled sometimes as we all know and to be able to mm. be the the kind of smoother and the sort of taking a more objective view of things rather than just mm. bowling in and saying no this isn't okay or this isn't just mm. yeah just and it's not surprising really because I would imagine it absolutely makes you realize the fragility of life and what can happen tomorrow or not and and having kids as well I feel mellowed Ruth mm. too but but within having kids she has fought all the way to continue to be a working mother and to make that work mm. that's so what's I think brilliant. yeah yeah so I yeah. think that's one of I think that's probably the main change uh, of mm. things of the you know the the different stories the different things we've learned about Ruth over the years I think it's interesting now as a grandmother, <laughs> I can hardly mm. say that word. Yes. Ruth's a grandmother. Yes. Uh, it's extraordinary. Yes. And, and I think that's a, I think this is an interesting time. Mm. Um, and, you know, as the, as her children are growing up and all in their 20s, and it's a very interesting time. And it, I, no, I was going to ask you, yeah. but just going back slightly, Flick, you know, it, a googly was thrown at you, wasn't it? When when you had that affair as well with Sam. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel about that when you that was presented to you? Because you know you and David are just a complete item. So how how, how did you feel about that as a, as an actor as well? You know, thinking, oh my god, but I'm Ruth and I don't do these things, or you know. Well, the funniest thing I have to say is that for some time before that storyline, Tim. As Dave Tim would yes. often say, "Oh, I'd love to have an affair with her." He really <laughs> wanted to have an affair, you know, to kind of and shake things up. And, and, and so that it. was yes, that was hilarious. So I had the affair. Um, I think that was a very interesting story. And I was thinking in terms of changes that happened to Ruth. I'm not sure that that was one of the things that absolutely changed her. It certainly made her question her relationship with mm. David and mm. the future in that way mm. so maybe that I would think yes in hindsight that was also a change in that you know after something as huge as that if your marriage survives it which theirs has that mm. is it means yeah. you're looking at marriage and relationships in a different way to how you were beforehand uh, I would say that they I found it interesting that you know I think listeners 
quite a lot of listeners were up in arms about it and were saying, well, this is completely out of character. Well, I firmly believe, why do we have the, the phrase out mm. of character? Exactly. Because we're mm. all capable of doing things mm. out of character. And I can, you know, the other thing is that uh, Tim and I have, have, I wouldn't say completely, but different views of why that happened. And he, no, as David, really. he as himself playing David, would mm. say, well, mm. um, it wasn't justified at all. Whereas I, as <laughs> I playing Ruth, you know, as the actor playing Ruth, would say, well, the reasons it happened were this, this, and this. You know, mm. she was extremely feeling extremely vulnerable and low in self-esteem. It was some time after the, um, the mastectomy, but their relationship yep. seemed not to have not to be going through a very good patch he was very busy with other things mm -hmm. sophie had come back into the village um, to work right. as some uh, designing uh, somewhere so she mm. was around and he went off and had lunch with her and there was a flirty lunch which mm. you know i think ruth did find out he'd gone off for lunch but he said well nothing but there was a definitely it was a scene mm. where it was clear he had to make that decision of what he was going to and he didn't go with mm -hmm. it um but mm. i think Ruth felt very low in self-esteem and not being really um, needed more emotional uh, connection with him at that point, which mm -hmm. he wasn't for whatever reason yes. giving. So, mm -hmm. you know, if a handsome young guy comes along that's really easy to talk to, yes. which is what mm -hmm. it amounted to, it was because he was so easy to talk to. I don't think it ever she ever set out for that to happen. And then it's that, I mean, I think, mm. have we all experienced that? I mean, do men experience mm -hmm. as well? Mm. If somebody is kind of appearing to be, is, is genuinely being really kind, and mm. Um, mm. then these things can develop, I suppose, can't yeah, they? Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think it was a very so. interesting time. But in terms mm. of the story, I feel that, yes, it had its climax when it was will she, won't she, when she went on the drive and got stuck in traffic on the way to the hotel to eventually yes, yes. meet to meet Sam so there lovely. and it would be yeah. let's say they'd become more intimate um and then I mean a, a friend of mine said that she and some of her friends were sitting around the radio saying don't do it don't do it <laughs> <laughs> yes. but then I felt that what was really interesting was what happened afterwards you know, I felt what was really interesting was what happened afterwards, that you had uh, what, there was a crucial scene where David realised it was Sam, and then it was mm -hmm. full of upset and full of, you know, it was just awful. And that's when they, you know, he'd gone, or he was about to go. And, uh, you know, Ruth had made the decision in the previous car park scene that she wasn't gonna have, she wasn't mm -hmm. gonna go through, her family meant more to her. But I think it took ages mm. and ages to mend that relationship. And that's where I feel it's interesting from a writing point of view. I remember Tim and I used to discuss, well, when did they actually end up in the same bedroom again? And when did they mm. have sex mm. again? Because mm. it was never in the script. Mm. But for us, it was important to make our own decisions yes, of about course. that. Of course. Yeah. And of I, course. Think, I think it would have been you know, a long time before they mm. completely um, were with each other again. And I think okay. even yeah, years sure. later, sometimes Tim will 
refer back to that and say well of course there was a he he I think feels that there is always a residue of that for David mm. whereas mm. I think for Ruth there may be a residue of it but in a way of mm. that isn't what I want this is mm. what I want whereas I think mm. his hurt I think mm. Tim feels there's just a little bit there that will always be incredibly um, um, let's say still um, can't let go of, of that mm. that I, mean, I don't think it shows in the day-to-day relationship or in there mm. do you think it's a tiny thing mm. um mm. but i do remember recently it was really fun but interesting how things can ripple down the years is that there was a line that steph had you know vince casey's steph mm-hmm. yes um the older daughter and where her relationship was falling apart with is it leon with her and she saying to yeah. us one day what well you tell me how how, do, how have you made your relationship last for so long and you can sort of hear yeah. the listener thinking oh oh how is yeah. it yes. yeah. yeah yeah and i think that's yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. yeah it's fascinating kind of the amount of thinking that you do about this sort of this very important detail which of course never is never you wouldn't expect them to bounce in one day and say, you know, oh, bounce into the post office and say, gosh, David and I had sex last night or something. But it, I can see it's really important for you to know that mm-hmm. um, as actors because it, it explains the intimacy or lack of it in that relationship. I, I just had a question about the breast cancer. I'm really curious as to if or how the Archer's um, production side, the editor or whatever, prepared you for that story. Presumably... Were you told that it was coming? It wasn't just you didn't just open up a script and find it. No, we we were told it was coming, and um, also I was told that I wouldn't die, and that's oh right, you know that's good, and I think that would mm. I think it probably would happen with any story where that's potentially the end of it. That as an actor in the Archers, I would think that you would be told the arc of the story but I remember thinking mm-hmm. god that, because I don't remember when they started to talk about the story thinking oh my god am I going to die but I think I learned very quickly was told very quickly and I went, but I didn't think I, mean, I just thought what a what a how great to have such a strong story to work on yeah. you know mm-hmm. um, and I remember at the time you know of course any story in the arches that is dealing with important issues of any kind where there's a little research it needs to be very accurate there was an awful lot of research went on to do with that story um but i remember through i think it was through breakthrough breast cancer that i got to talk to i think three women and one of them was a friend of a friend who'd had breast cancer Mm. so i used to talk to them um I think I talked to them both for to the, all three of them for a long time before the story started, and then each month when I got the scripts, I would talk to them about what happened to them at that point, that point. Um, mm. just to get the feeling. But in the end, there are so many different. There's no right or wrong way of you know everybody's going to have no. their mm. own um, journey through breast cancer. So it's not that I was thinking, well, why am they doing? Why it's just listening to that and then letting go of it almost, and then yeah. using the script that you have. Um, and I remember there was, you know, I remember particularly there was one scene we were working on at one point and the director saying, well, we could, um, we could just cut that and we could just cut that. And you ended up with a scene that maybe had um, quite a few lines of dialogue ending up with half that amount because you didn't, 
necessarily need it which is mm. interesting to say on radio you didn't need you know pauses yeah. can speak mm. volumes. volumes as they mm. say so that was mm. i remember that particularly at points in that in that story yeah so it was it's it's interesting as well isn't it because as we know in something like the archers you know we are privileged I think in many ways to be with our characters for as long as we are as actors you're very rarely involved with a character uh, to, to the extent that we are and so we really get to know our characters really terribly well and also if we have partners like you have Tim David uh, very well so when you get a storyline which you know is going to be a bit of a thunderbolt like for instance the breast cancer although they told you yes you were going to survive it um did, did that make you think oh oh my goodness but uh, Tim and, and Dave how is this what you know and even you know when you have the affair it's oh is this going to it, you know change our relationship the, the way you look at things I remember when um, Kim was um, in the program um, playing Tiger who I should say at this moment in time of course is your real life partner <laughs> isn't she <laughs> Got a bone to pick with you about that one. Which is another story. <laughs> Which is a whole other story. But I do remember, because it was, you know, I, I love working with Kim, and it was such a, a, a terrific kind of a coupling, I think. But I remember, you know, we had stories, for instance, when he went to prison or, or when she had the affair with Paul. And I remember when I got the scripts flick, I thought, oh, well, this is very odd. How am I going to deal with this? Because actually you do, well, I did anyway. There was this loyalty. There was, although I knew it was a part, <laughs> I was Lillian, but the, the, it had gone so far inside me in a way that it was a bit of a wrench. And I thought, oh, how, how is this going to end? Because, you know, I've got a bond here with this, with this actor. Is it the same for you with Tim? Well, I, yes. I mean, I think the bond absolutely is there, but we've been lucky enough not to have... Well, how can I say this... I mean, there have been times when, yes, the, the marriage has been threatened, no doubt about mm. that, the partnership. But I think in the end, I've always believed that it would, that they wouldn't actually split yeah. up. Mm. Even when Ruth went off to New Zealand and at one point and stayed over Christmas and didn't come back, which was a very unusual thing for a mother to do, to stay longer. She'd mm. gone there to look up new new um, dairy systems that were happening out there and she, it was at a time where mm. things were not going great and and yeah she stayed longer and I remember thinking then well would they it's that thing of second guessing but mm. well would they really split us up mm. uh, but mm. or but believe I think I don't think God speak too soon you can't I? say can I don't think that I've actually ever felt that that was actually going to happen um, yeah Whereas you've had a lot more, I mean, I think that if, if yeah. you know, either of us left the program, I mean, I, I would feel, yeah. if I was in the program and Tim, I would feel yeah. very, be very difficult yeah. and vice versa, yeah. I would have thought. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I would think the, the nearest I can say to what you're saying, Sunny, is that whenever there is a big sort of emotional story of one kind or another, we end up going off and having great chats, <laughs> having, yes. Yes. you know, going off and having you know, a meal together or coffee together and just sort of, mm. because it's something to really kind of get your teeth into and yeah. all of that, which yeah. has been, you know, which is which is really great. Because sometimes even with your nearest and dearest in the programme, you can be mm. a bit like passing ships if you're mm. coming in, doing mm. the episode and then rushing mm. off back to London or mm. whatever. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So interesting. So uh, do you think... I probably guess the answer to this. Do you think you're like you and Ru you and Ruth are alike, or or not? 
I think in lots of ways we are. Mm -hmm. um, I think in the ways that we're not, that's more difficult to put my finger on, I think. I think... What? I yeah. think Ruth has... I think the whole thing... I've never really thought about it in quite this way before. I think being... Maybe I'm romanticising being a farmer, but it's a... It's a simpler life, mm -hmm. which isn't mm -hmm. to say it's it's not complicated in its own way and there's a lot to think about. But I think there is something about working the land, l working with animals, doing what it takes to be a farmer, living in mm -hmm. a village, that is a completely different kind of a life to the life that I lead. So I think the differences mm -hmm. are because of the types of lives that we right. lead that that means certain parts of yourself will be being used mm. in different ways whereas for Ruth you know she's a mum she's working with the mm. you know you're getting up to do the milking mm. or you're mm. sorting out the new milking shed or you're mm. discussing farming or you're which is and I think it's just something about which is a job, like any of us have got jobs, but it's something to do with that cycle of the land and that cycle of being near to nature and um, all mm. of that, that I think probably grounds, literally grounds you in mm. your life mm. more. Mm. Um, so I would imagine that, that, that Ruth doesn't worry so much about things that aren't worth worrying about. Whereas I mm. think when you live a, I don't know, a different mm. kind of life where I mean as an actor or as a program maker where you're constantly thinking about well what's the next thing I'm going to be doing or I'm working on this now and you're living a London life where you're jumping on transport I mean they are very it's a mm. I think that's the only way I can put it a grounded life um, mm. does that make sense mm. in some way no completely yeah. and there's a predictability isn't there about it the seasons predict everything I mean because I come from a farming family my I mentioned this on the program before you know my dad for the first 12 years of my life I lived on a farm and it was it was about the seasons the predictability the having to get up at every same time in the morning to milk the cattle and and so on and so forth so yes it does ground you because it um well, you have to. It's a rhythm of life that you have to, 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 to continue every, every day. You have no choice about it, particularly if you're looking after animals in the, in the way that, as, as farmers, in the way that Ruth and David do. That, you know, you have to. There's, there's no choice in that. There's no choice. But it probably brings great... Well, Sorry. No, go. I was going to say it probably brings great joy as well, some of the time, within mm. the problems that may happen. You know, if there's mm. problems going on with your kids or problems going on with your husband, but you're still... You've still got to go milk those cows or you've still got to make sure there's feed for them. You've still got right. to do those, which I think, mm. I think that's what I mean by... And you can... I mean, I don't know. Maybe I am romanticising it, but I, you know, I was somewhere recently on holiday where you're seeing sunsets and, and um, sunrises every day. And I think, God, how can I live... My, I don't live in a place where I naturally mm. see sunsets. And some, some listeners, mm. some people listening to this may think, well, of course we do. We see it all... But living in this big city with built, I mean, we might see nice, lovely skies, but we don't literally go out to see a, a sunset. I could, there's parks nearby where I could. Mm. Whereas when you're on a farm, they'll be there. Mm. That's your sort of, mm. um, yeah, there's something really literally earthy and I keep using the mm. word grounded, yeah. but it's almost more than that. Um, there's a something about the essence of what it means to be alive that maybe mm. is nearer to mm. you when you're mm. working yeah. with 
the earth and the f- and yes. animals. Because you're connected yeah. with the seasons. You have to be connected Absolutely. with the seasons because, you know, in the summer, you know, you're bringing the hay in or, you know, the winter, you're bringing the cattle in. It's, it's very predictable in that sense. So you're working with the land. You're working with the seasons, aren't you? You're working with nature uh, at a very fundamental mm-hmm. level. And, and Ruth, mm-hmm. I think the, the marvellous thing about Ruth is that she's not a farmer's wife. She's mm-hmm. a farmer. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't bake cakes. She doesn't do all of that sort of rosy apple cheek farmer's wife stuff that you know that jill did um she is she works it's her job and Mm -hmm. you get a really 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 terrific sense that this is this is the job that she does this is the work she does and she's a professional woman doing a professional Mm -hmm. job i know yeah, that's what's great about it. So, uh, what 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 about funny funny things that happen to you in the arches? Anecdotes, anything like that, Flip? <laughs> I think um, I think uh, um, I remember when I was still quite young in the arches. But I think we were already married, and I was I and as Ruth and. Norman Painting as Phil Archer were invited to a to an open day and it was an open prison in Boston in Lincolnshire mm-hmm. and uh, I remember I think Norman oh Norman wasn't actually going but in real life mm-hmm. I was invited to go to this open day and open mm-hmm. their rare breeds pig pen they were building a new <laughs> okay. t- <laughs> because this right. open prison um, grew vegetables, kept animals, um, mm-hmm. and all of that. The prisoners, you know, the men looked after looked after them. Uh, so I was invited, and I remember staying. I stayed overnight with the governor of the prison, this lovely guy. And I remember on the morning, early in the morning, somebody called him, and I could hear him saying um yeah yeah they're going to be here they're going to be here and he came off the phone and he said uh, it was somebody saying is it true that um ruth archer and phil archer are going to be there and he'd said yeah yeah it is and he could hear her calling up the stairs saying see i told you they were real (laughs) (laughs) um I don't know. Brilliant. Not sure how funny God. that was. Sorry, you can cut that bit out. Um, but at that at that same place, there was also uh, they 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 had some flyers which were advertising this open day, and that I was going to be there. And I remember reading it, picking one up, and it said, um, "It will be opened by Runt of the Archers." <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant, Runt. <laughs> Uh, very oh, unfortunate terrific. misspelling. Um, and, uh, yeah, and the, the, I remember there was one occasion Wait. when we did a theatre show uh, of the art, Murder, what was it called? Murder at Ambridge Hall, where we toured this show um, around and where we were playing Arches Carriers but ourselves as well. And I remember we would meet audiences afterwards and uh, it was really nice because people have so many different stories about what the programme means to them or when they listen or... You know, I remember meeting a teacher that was using the abortion storyline for um, when Elizabeth Archer was going to have an abortion. Oh, yeah. oh yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Using it with her kids in school. And you'll have somebody else saying, you know, it just makes me feel less lonely when I listen at 7.15 in the evening or whatever. Mm. All these different people with their mm. stories. And I remember in one venue, I suddenly felt this, it must have been at the time where I just had Pip. Because mm. I felt this tap on my shoulder. And I heard this voice saying, 
You wimp. Okay, so what? You what? wimp. All that noise, all that huffing and puffing, all that. <laughs> said, I never did that. I never did that when I had my children. And it was just so funny. You know, I just kind of said, oh, okay. Yeah, okay, right. Um, and hasty retreat it was in the script quickly as yeah <laughs> it was in the it was in the script and i'm sure a lot of women would say it was you know that that's exactly how it was but uh, yeah mm. so there's nothing as entertaining sometimes as a, a, mm. a listener's reaction to i bet i think you're going to become the archer's matriarch eventually most Do definitely you? Ruth Archer. Yeah. oh yes 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 definitely <laughs> That's yeah. got, you're, that's you'll, your be in it, you'll be in it when you're 103. Oh, God, you never know what can happen. I used to say years ago, you could, um, you could, uh, what was it? Oh, you could die in childbirth or go under a tractor. Well, somebody else went under a tractor, These very have happened. sadly. And, yeah, yeah. and I wouldn't be having any more kids. But you'd never, you never, you never know. But looking at the, you know, I yeah. love the older characters, looking at the, um, you know, Jill Archer and... The way Paddy has um, played that Absolutely. character for so long is quite amazing. So yeah. I wouldn't, yeah. I mean, I don't even think about whether I'll be in those shoes or even still alive. <laughs> Who knows? Today's podcast is sponsored by Turtle Doves. Turtle Doves recycle pre-loved cashmere jumpers to make beautiful accessories. Their best-selling fingerless gloves come in a large variety of colours to brighten or complement any outfit. The benefit of keeping your wrist covered throughout the day will help maintain warm, cosy fingers. Other accessories include neck warmers, loops, scarves, beanies and baby booties. All super soft and luxurious to the touch with great eco-credentials. Turtle Doves. The perfect present this Christmas to keep your loved ones warm. Well, we cross our fingers. Uh, this is—it's just—it's just awful because I want to talk to you, loads and loads about the archers. But the, there's also a couple of. I want to talk to you about the work that you've done mm. in Rwanda and Afghanistan because mm. I was just absolutely mm. fascinated to read about that. And um, so in Rwanda, you were involved in a radio soap, setting up a radio soap. Is that right? No, I wasn't actually involved in the setting up of it. Um, it was. Four years after the Rwandan genocide, which happened in 1994, mm. um, there was a team of people in Rwanda, there was a charity, it was actually a British charity that was working there, that with a team of Rwandans set up a radio soap opera called Uranana. Mm -hmm. So it was to um, try and get across important information to people post you know after the genocide and um i was invited to go and be there at the launch of it and also to record a scene oh. with one of the one of the characters in it um right. and it was the most uh, amazing and fantastic experience because i mean the charity i went with didn't know that I made radio features, which I'd started making by right. then. So when they knew, and I said, can I make one about um, the soap opera and uh, about this new program? And they said, yes, because there were so many stories surrounding, interesting stories about how it was set mm. up, why it was set up, the stories it was dealing with. So I made a feature. Um, I think that one was would have been for Woman's Hour. And then I made another one about a group of women that had set up a, 
um, an organization called Avega, which was for widows of the genocide. Because there were many, many widows after the genocide. And I remember um, <clears throat> interviewing women about what they'd gone through and mm. this wonderful woman called Esther that had set up this organization which exists to this day. Um, so I, it was amazing to have that opportunity to actually speak to Rwandan people um, and a lot of the people connected to the radio program itself had, um, you know, they could, they could really communicate to me why the program was happening what sort of stories it would be dealing with and all of that so I mean they use the the archers as a model so that's mm -hmm. a starting point as is mm -hmm. the program in Afghanistan that maybe we'll talk about yes. a little bit and there have been others in different parts of the world but they're the two that started back in the 90s and are still going are now still, are they are still going oh yeah they they're still going that's now brilliant. but it's it's not i mean it's very much um education through entertainment so they've all got really strong characters mm. really strong storylines and integrated into that our um is information about maybe about health it may be about i mean with rwanda some of the early storylines were about domestic violence which went up incredibly after the genocide mm. um I mean, I don't know whether everybody that's listening will remember what happened, but it was, you know, it was a, a time when the reasons why, you know, I couldn't, I can't really go into now, it's too, too complicated, but it was where um, almost a million Tutsis, there are Tutsis and Hutus, are the main two mm -hmm. tribes, um, were, were killed. And radio was used as a propaganda tool. So there was a private mm -hmm. radio station called Mil Colleen that was inciting messages of hatred and saying, go out wow. and kill a Tutsi Gosh, today. Wow. So to get the trust of the listener was the first thing that they had to do. Um, but it's very mm -hmm. difficult talking about Rwanda in this way because it's so, even now, I mean, the last time I went was in 2014, and you come back and people say, well, is it mm -hmm. safe? And you say, well, mm -hmm. it's a country that like here in many many ways you know it's not yeah. that it's um it's full of people doing professional jobs getting on with their lives yeah. but over the years there have been things that have needed to be problems that people will will experience whether it's health whether it's social issues or whatever it is more recently um, I remember back in 2014 or so they were doing a story about child abuse because that was something that had never been recognized in Rwanda mm. Um, really? And you could say the same in other countries as well. Mm -hmm. And then legislation mm -hmm. came in, really. And it couldn't be directly connected to that story, but very likely because they'd done this story. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But they've done lots of... lots of. Um, I mean, they'd go out into the, into the um, villages and talk to people about what they what they wanted to be covered in the program what were the things the issues right. that were really affecting them every day right. and then they would go back afterwards and check that these stories were being done in a way that really did reflect their lives and it's the wow. same in afghanistan with that i mean they're not just writing in a vacuum mm. um and it's you know the it's i don't think i've said it's called urunana which means hand in hand and it is amazing i mean they have great actors there and really really good and they have a, they all have um any soap opera has a really strong, lovable rogue comic character. You know, yeah, they yes. all have their Eddie Grundy. So in Uranus, yes. he's called Bushombi, and mm -hmm. he's very much the one that might be 
ducking and diving and yeah. you know doing so and, yeah and when you say flick that it was obviously the archers was it was it was a role model for it did, did were the editors whoever was running the arch at the time were they asked uh, uh, about the model or was it you that went to to sort of i know the rwanda was a different one but but when you did the afghanistan one you helped set it up didn't you no i haven't helped set any of them up that's a, oh i thought a you mis- did in afghanistan misreporting no no ah, i right, think okay. it, there must be um yeah no in in there is a sort of uh, there are some academics or people that are connected to drama that that has become their thing being able to media people right. that are setting up radio programs um you know it's very much used as a tool of change right. and it might be used right. just for short um a radio drama might be used for six months somewhere in ethiopia maybe mm. for a particular i mean when hiv was rife which it still mm. is in some of these countries i mean rwanda for a long time that was also something that was um um a real problem real difficulty mm. causing a lot of death so there'd be stories about contraception I remember there being an extraordinary scene where a couple were using condoms and I've never and I remember thinking at the time you know when they both it was a sort of jokey funny scene where they each produced one at the same moment and mm. only their little fingers were touching I, I was watching them record <laughs> this scene and thinking not sure if we'd do this in the arches. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so they 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 don't necessarily need advice from the arches anymore. The arches, the right. team that make the arches years ago may have advised on some, but not on not on yeah. these particular yeah. ones because they had their own kind right. of experts in the field. And eventually, right. the Rwandan the Rwandan team are running it themselves. So it's not mm. then under the auspices of a charity. And the same right. the, Afgan, the Afghan one, which is called New Home, New Life. Um, so ju- yeah, no. Just to say that in Rwanda, you know, after going that first time, I then went back a year later to make a documentary, a half-hour documentary mm. about how it was a year on, and then I went back twice after that, the last time on the twentieth anniversary, to do, you know, not I. I did actually talk to them on the honour and honour again, and how it had mm. changed over the twenty years and why it was still relevant, but mm. also talking to women who had been raped during the genocide and their children mm-hmm. were now 18 19 and they mm. need you know they needed to know who their father was and sometimes mm-hmm. they hadn't been told about what mm. i mean it was just mm. and they were being given they were, they'd asked for counseling so there was a group of um, counselors mm. that were working with these groups of women that had thought they were on their own and suddenly they'd realized there were lots of women in the same day. so i talked you know talked to them and it's mm. um, it's extraordinary to be able to, um, I don't know, to have the, the connection with the country. Absolutely. I wish I could, wish I'd been able to spend more time there, but even in some small way to be able to try and connect with people there and to give some indication. I mean, it is a beautiful mm. country and there is sort of, um, yes. some people go there as tourists. It is beautiful and safe and yeah. Mm. There are certain things about mm. its politics um, and we won't mm. go into mm-hmm. that. You know, there are certain yeah. things, so mm. it's not, you know, it's mm. not all sweetness and light by by any means, mm. but yeah. So with Afghanistan, have we got time for me to talk a bit? Yes, about of course, because you did yeah. you did go and train. Because I think I do remember us having a conversation. You and I, you were about to go off there, but you did help, didn't you? Train some actors, if that's right, aren't you? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For the Afghanistan. So yeah, the yeah, yeah. yeah. So the Afghan radio soap started in um, 1994, and that was started by. Uh, what used to be called the World Service Trust and is now called BBC World Service Trust, now called BBC Media Action. And although it's not actually run by the BBC, it's sort of it's using 
people from sort of BBC media background that will maybe go out and train people in other countries around mm. the world um, on how to how to make their own programs, how to maybe, I mean, in Afghanistan, um, they were developing a program, a question time, like our question time, which is an extraordinary mm. thing. This was about some few years ago now, but it lasted a little while where they would bring um, people in from all over the country to to have a you know the question time we have on the telly mm. to be able to do no one would believe that could happen now but it did no. for a while mm. I'm not mm. sure if it's happening at the moment but it did but anyway so BBC Media Action do this kind of work and the World Service just beforehand was doing so so they helped set up this program in Peshawar because at that point just over um, yeah. in Pakistan just over the border from Afghanistan yeah. at that point the civil war going on in Afghanistan so a lot of people and the artistic elite from Kabul had fled to Peshawar so they were utilizing the you know writers Mm -hmm. actors um, um, directors and giving them some training and then they were creating this program called New Home New Life so again it was reflecting I mean the Taliban then came into power and they banned Mm -hmm. all entertainment um, but they turned a blind eye to the archers, um, to the archers, that was a slip, to a new home, new life. They turned about, some of them were listening, apparently, and they just, they, they turned a blind. And anyway, you know, radio is what everybody had, so it'd be very hard to stop people from listening mm. to the radio. Um, so it was being made from Peshawar, and the researchers then were going over the border into Afghanistan, really, and risking their lives in there researching these And uh, and then back in 2002, when the Taliban were ousted, it's strange saying this now because, of course, the Taliban are back. back Um, They then all moved back to Kabul. So then it was made and it's being made. It's been made in Kabul since 2002. So then I went back, having made a half hour documentary about it in Peshawar. I then went back between 2008 and 2010 three times partly to make programs and partly because at that point you know at one point New Home New Life was really the only medium you could hear Mm. or there was nothing to you know people didn't necessarily have televisions or very little and but gradually there was more and more media happening Um, so there was a lot more competition Mm. so they wanted to try and make the program just make sure that it was at the level that it needed to be to keep on Mm. um, um getting listeners so it's kind of sharing techniques rather than you know it's not going yeah. to say this is the way to, it's kind mm-hmm. of sharing and saying how about or whatever so I was really lucky to go for a couple of weeks each time and um, work with the actors and directors on on that and you know really what one is trying to do which is what we try to do on the arches to create programs that that really I would say that that are going to leap out of that little box in the corner and okay it's Mm. not the little box in the corner anymore because you can listen in so many ways but Mm. that's the equivalent and so yeah it was I'm trying to think I mean examples of some of the early stories on New Home New Life I mean I remember one was about landmines and a young lad that had taken a shortcut from school even though he'd been warned not to and had lost a leg and um because he crossed where there were landmines. Mm. And then years later, he he became at the forefront of a, of a charity in the story where he's going around um, the area, talking to school children, talking to people about the dangers of landmines because 
now people are trying to um they might use them think they can be scrap metal or something so there's they have still been a danger <sighs> over the years but then there will yeah. be stories which you know years ago would be about a young girl called nuria who was 13 years old and had been promised to and married a much older man and then her body isn't ready to have a child and mm. they both died you know she died in pregnancy mm. but the way of approaching a story like that is to not you know you're not the listener is not being beaten over the head and saying, look, this is not the way to do it. It's more showing mm. the views and attitudes mm. of everyone in that family or that extended family. Mm. And through mm. that, mm. Um, the mm. listener can make up their own mind. Make, make their own judgment, um, yes. And later stories mm. have been about, you know, um, maybe a, an elder woman in the community being allowed on the village council. Um, and, um, her, and she will then try to help you know there's still a lot of violence or you know the mistreatment of women within particularly in some areas of uh, so within relationships too so there's stories about that but they have to be treated so sensitively so as mm, i say it's not bomb- yeah and carefully and again they have their comic character nazir that at one point this is some years ago didn't have a husband didn't have a wife and was looking for a wife and you get listeners saying he can marry my daughter. He can marry. <laughs> yes, yes. But I mean, they, yes. these programs so, yes. literally create, you know, are, have been a lifeline at times to their listeners. Yeah. Um, tremendously And do you know, is it, is it still going, Flick, you know, with the Taliban now having sort of, is, is New Home, New Life still on air? It is still on air. I'm not sure oh. how much it's able, I mean, it won't be able to reflect politically but I mean, in a way, if you look at the archers, we don't reflect obviously politically mm. what's going on. I mean, there might be the odd mention of Brexit or what. I mean, it's very, it's kind of political with a small p and very integrated into the story. Sure. Well, I think it would be the same that um, they are, they'll be dealing with the problems that are being thrown up, but they won't actually be able to deal with, um, they won't be able to be portraying the Taliban, mm. I would doubt, in the way that they are we are seeing mm. them, you know, as mm. trying to, how is this going to come to an end? You know, how are they going to? Um, I've tried to get in touch with, I am in touch with one of the, a woman who is still writing for it. And she that said she would question. let me know about right. the, the stories that they're able to deal with now, but she hasn't um, done it yet. But she will, I'm sure, let me know because it would be good to know more you know in more detail what they are dealing with but they are you know they're they are fantastic these um the fact that these programs have have um happened and that they have brought such um really enhanced you know really help people in their lives Mm. as a form of entertainment but also in terms of the information or the um changing behaviour really you know no, uh, well, uh, able to. I mean, this is what radio can do can't it you know i mean yeah. in any kind you can get it out there to as many people as possible it, i mean it can inform and it can change and it's great to know that you said that the female writer is still writing for it in afghanistan because that that's the whole concern is what's happening to the women out there now isn't it yeah yeah um, yeah yeah and it's difficult because I mean, I don't know how it works there because they're part of a... It's called the Afghan Education Project. And um, I don't know whether that's allowed to work in an entity because I remember reading, you know, since the Taliban got back in, that if people were um, allowing women to do certain things, then the men that were allowing them to do it would be... Would be arrested. Would be arrested. So it must be that A... It could be that AEP has... Afghan Education Project has a... 
um, a special that they that they respect what it's done over the years. I mean, that some mm. of the Taliban do uh, respect things that improve the health or the the lives of people. Mm. It's you know, but the Taliban is made up of, as we know, uh, real so groups, cross section of um, people, mm. yeah, and attitudes and behaviors how, uh, just how did you f- i mean because you've you, you've made so many different sorts of programs you made these wonderful programs in uh, uh, you know in rwanda and afghanistan and all over i mean not just there are other countries as well but how did you first get in to making documentaries and features how did that happen i sort of i sort of fell into it and in a way and i shouldn't say this because i think you know in a way young um broadcasting journalists now they invariably they go and train for you know for three years or they do a postgrad or they do mm. a I was really lucky you know and I think this happens to people in life sometimes doesn't it that you can learn on the job as it were or, or yeah. things happen in a strange way that you never expected because I remember it was at the point where as an actor and um, I think I was in my early 30s and it got to the point where it was getting harder and harder to get work mm. because there was less and less work there and sure. more and more people going for it. And I knew that, I mean, I think most actors probably get to this point where you feel you've got to be able to do something alongside being an actor. Mm-hmm. You've got to have mm. something. I mean, I really have huge admiration for actors that manage to survive all their lives um, mm. only being an actor. And I mean, I... I mean, I'd say during my life, relationship-wise, I didn't have the the um, what's the word the the support of having yeah. you know a partner that was doing a proper job as right. it were, yeah, or yeah, anything yeah. like that. So yeah, yeah. you know, it was me, and I needed to. Um, so I'd got to the point where I knew I needed to do something, and I I remember going to um, even going as far as going to. A, I was thinking maybe I'd need to do a teaching course. Not that I wanted to be a a sort of conventional teacher but I think I was always mm. interested in maybe teaching special needs or prisoners maybe or something mm. in prisons work in prison or something like that and um, then and I got as far as going to a meeting at a university in London where you could do a PGCE you know teaching thing and at exactly the same mm. time we must have been doing the the archers and let me get this right um, it was when we did the archers show mm. When I knew I was going to be doing that, we were touring, we were going around different parts of the country, and I thought, and there was lots of gaps in it, and I thought, well, what am I going to do in those gaps? I thought, maybe I'm going to write that one woman show you're always thinking yes. about, but we'll yes. you know, never do. And then I thought, something said to me, this could make a really interesting radio programme, which means I must have started to listen to documentaries on Radio Mm. 4 and I remember Mm. some of them that were really really powerful Um, and um, so and I remember then discussing it with sort of behind the scenes you know what's Mm. it like behind the scenes at the theatres and then talking to listeners and everything I remember having a chat with Vanessa about it at a party or something that we had and her saying that's a good idea and the next thing she put me on to a lovely woman that was head of features we were at Pebble Mill at that time called Sarah Rowlands mm-hmm. and I'd, she talked to her and she gave me a kit and at that time wow. they were make 
Pebble Mill were at the forefront of doing fly-on-the-wall documentaries. Yeah. 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 Gave me yeah. this kit where you didn't have to... You had a, you ha you had a kit and you mm. had the microphone here. You just had something that was like a radio mic here and there. And you had... It was technically, mm. it was really straightforward. So I did quite a lot of recording on this, on this tour. And if you ask some mm. of the people that I was touring with... There was a point where they, because I was trying to, rec you know, I wanted to record in the bar after the show and things like yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. And if yes, you talk to some yes. of the Archers actors, they'll say, "Oh God!" Eventually, they said, <laughs> but listen "No to more." With their so I think we were doing it for three months, and I think they allowed me to record for the first maybe three weeks and for a bit at the end, and the rest of it it was no more. But that was fine. And then I had to hire. Anyway, this was the start of it. That program yeah. never got made because Sarah Rollins was going to take the recordings I'd highlighted the good bits as it were log sure. logged it because I couldn't edit at that point and um, mm. and then whoever it was that was the I can't remember if it was the head of Radio 4 or the head of Radio 4 at Pebble Mill didn't believe that listeners wanted to know about the archers actors behind the characters right. how wrong they were so yeah, somewhere indeed. those indeed. tapes are sitting there anyway very quick off wow. the back of that I got the bug and then it was one of those things I saw, suddenly saw in The Guardian one day an advert for the women's radio group and I did this six-week sort of course where you did a couple of days a week and a weekend and that gave it... And I did... The first edits I did were on um, using a razor tape. blade yeah, on tape. They? Yeah. And, th and then I got... Con I briefly made some programmes for a community radio station that was part of that course and then I thought I would need to somewhere get the opportunity to just do you know little things here and there anyway there's a story where I there was a connection with somebody I knew that knew the head of Women's Hour and uh, she, I think she just sensed something about me at that point in my life mm -hmm. that I did have good ideas mm -hmm. so I went mm -hmm. off met the head mm -hmm. of Women's Hour and she said go make those two because I had about eight mm -hmm. ideas now if those hadn't worked that would have been it that would have been the end but mm -hmm. they did and I mm -hmm. so I you know I think although I had to learn technically a fair bit of stuff mm -hmm. when we moved into Sadie editing um you know digital editing not long after that so everybody had to learn it all the freelancers had yeah, to yeah, learn yeah. it not 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 just me but I think there's something there was something about I think you know when you've landed on the right path and mm -hmm. I just knew yeah. I'd landed on mm -hmm. a parallel yes I love acting yes mm -hmm. I love being part of that but mm -hmm. I loved doing this interviewing mm -hmm. people and mm -hmm. putting it together you know it's not mm. not everybody can listen to an hour or more of of recording and mm. know how to put that narrative together mm. and mm. there was something in me maybe it's because i was 40 odd and i'd lived a bit and i knew about stories and could because of you know being an actor or whatever but i just found that side of it yes you angst over it but I, mm. i'll always get there of how to tell a story mm. through the audio mm. that you've so and i just you do. I mean, you've done some fine, yeah. fine uh, features and documentaries. You, you, you really have. I wanted to ask you about a programme you were involved in that I was very, very interested in, about uh, prisoners and music and them recording lullabies for their children. Is that right? Yeah, it's a programme that I made earlier this year. And uh, it was in Norwich Prison. And it was through a charity, and there was a wonderful woman called Sarah Lee that works for this charity that I'd kept in touch with for years. And this is an example of how ideas can happen. You know, I'd sort of met her every year because I was really interested in the work she was doing. Eventually, we got an idea through about this in the commissioning process for documentaries called The Lullaby Project. And it's where 
some of the Irene Taylor Trust is a small charity are musicians themselves, including Sarah. Mm. And they're working with, the, with two musicians from the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. And they go into, so they went into Norwich Prison and they're working with a group of men there, um, seven or eight men, and I was recording four of them. So each musician then talks to one of the men um, and asks him about his children. Asks him about his children, uh, and, th- and this conversation will go on for about an hour or so. So all this is is noted. So the sorts of things that he says about his children, before you know it, they could be possible lyrics for a song, and the the men can also say what sort of music they feel because some of their I mean with the men I interviewed one of them it was they were newly born the children when he then ended up in prison and and others have got teenagers so you know one guy was really interested in being something like um, Frozen or Disney and another one really likes Scar and another one really loves reggae so then all these ideas are then given to this wonderful guy called Nick Hayes who is a musician who then spends a couple of weeks um, making a song using these words using these ideas and then two weeks later the men go back to the prison and they a small orchestra um, from the Royal Mm -hmm. Philharmonic and from the Irene Taylor Trust six of them and a singer they Mm -hmm. perform this song for the the the, um, for the men individually they each have an hour separate (gasps) with them and um, then so they say if there's anything about it that they um, that they want to change or whatever invariably they don't but they then they do a performance of these songs one after the other with the men doing an introduction and this is all recorded and then a recording of it is sent to their families and to the children Um, so I recorded that whole process Mm. and if it hadn't been COVID you know we were so lucky to get into the prison we tried been trying for months Mm. and couldn't get in but we couldn't the families couldn't come to the concerts but it was full of people Uh. from the prison but so they couldn't be there but they would have um, you know got the music and the effect that this has because it's family bonds in the end Mm. that keep men out and women out of prison Mm, Um, so keeping those connections so Norwich Prison you know has uh, amazing people running it that believe in this kind of a project so I had was really lucky to have this access to be able to do this over so we you know to be able to go in and record all this so this documentary is still up and it it was um, it's it's it would be under you know, if you just Google the Lullaby Project, Felicity Finch, or if you put seriously before it, because it's part of the seriously, seriously. Um, sort of group of documentaries yeah. that are kind of picked out as being some of the best of that period of time. So they stay up longer. So you may have to put mm-hmm. seriously there. But you would, if any, if any listeners are interested, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's a remarkable project yeah. and mm-hmm. really deserves to happen in many more prisons around the country, and hopefully it will. I remember that lovely one that you did about the Down syndrome boy. I was absolutely riveted. And I think you were put up for an award for that one, weren't you, Flick? Am I right? It was called um, Will He Change His Socks? And it was about a young, a young lad with it Down syndrome really when, when he was so leaving good. his special school, going into independent, yeah. mm-hmm. going into independent living. Um, and I followed him for six months of that. And it was, you know, it was just great. But again, it's because his... You know, his parents and Alex himself mm. were really up for it. Mm. And it was, you know, it was mm. just great to do. But, you know, along the way, I had wonderful um, 
women particularly who mentored you know who it wasn't mm. that they said I'm going to be your mentor but along the way mm. you would meet women that were in you know sort of high positions of making features mm. and they would mm. just a little thing a little thing a little thing then you'd yeah. sort of learn as you were going the sort of and the more you do it the more mm. you know the more practice you have so mm. I feel very I feel very very lucky to have been of course it's tough trying to get mm. you know at one point it wasn't so tough um, for whatever reasons and now it, it's tough getting commissions it's tough but you know you just you get mm. on with it and you yeah that's a word that I think Ruth and um flick have I remember I'd, yeah, I I don't like it. I don't like the sound of the word at all but it has been used to describe mm. me which is dogged and I well, think Ruth listen, is that's as well. not a bad quality. That is really not a bad quality, <laughs> a is it? No, I'm not going to give up. And I could give up. No. And I'm not going to give up. Because of that, you've just made some fantastic, fantastic yes. work. You know, like yes. Sunny said, it's not just the archers, but the, you know, the documentaries and, and so on as well. And mm. I'm just gutted because time's not been our friend today, has it? It's just mm. sort of the time's just waltzed away. So could we just ask you a question that we often ask people at the end, which is... What would you say to your younger self? Now, I had a feeling you might ask me this. I don't know why, but did I, you? Yeah, I did. And <laughs> I, you know, I thought about it and I thought about it. And um, I thought, I don't, I can't think of something really profound I'd like to say to my younger self or Ruth's younger self, except I think the only thing that I would say is you really don't know what's around the corner yeah and I think mm. that's because I mean I do a bit of teaching each year at Sunderland University where believe it or not I got an honorary you doctorate, got an honorary doctorate <laughs> a few years ago which yeah my parents were very pleased <laughs> finally got a degree but there you go um but um yeah, and I had to make a speech then. And I think something that I said in that was that, you know, some people, even when they're young and leaving university, will have an objective, will have a plan, will say, this is where mm -hmm. I want to be, or this is what. And to a certain extent, you know, I think in life I've thought, well, yeah, it would be nice to be, it would be nice. Or but I think generally I feel that to be open to yes. what might come your way is what... Mm -hmm. um, it, it, is also important and can bring treasures and precious things that you would never have mm. dreamt of. So I think that's what I mean when I say you never know. You never, you really mm. don't know what's around the corner. Mm. Not just that's you don't know, you really don't know what's around the corner. Mm. That's very mm. wise advice, isn't it, mm. Sunny? And keep and keep open to it. And of course, mm. the other thing is, uh, the, the listeners won't know, you're, you're a great dancer. In fact, you'd like to have been a ballet dancer, am I right, when you were young? Am I right with that? When no. I was young, I did did ballet from I was three till I was 18 and I had a really um, quite sad experience when I was around 12 when I tried to get into I mean not the Royal Ballet but a couple of ballet schools that were would have meant living away from home you know there was some mm -hmm. distance away and I realized I didn't have the right physique for ballet which people don't quite understand because I'm small mm. they immediately think oh but you have to have I mean, when you, when you audition for the Royal Ballet School at 10 years old or whatever it is, they're going to do a complete... The first thing that's really important is the, is the um, physical examination. They can tell what your body's going to do. 
and they know. Gosh, and yes, yes. I didn't have it at the Royal Bard School, but that you can tell. So, you know, I didn't have enough suppleness, enough arched feet, enough flexible back. I mean, I was very good at it till I was about 12, and then it was a bit of a struggle as we went through because I had to force... I mean, anybody that does ballet is, is forcing their body to do things yeah. they're not used to. So that's... Yeah. And because of the time that I was born, that they're, you know, because of my age, there, there wasn't really any other forms of dance around. There was a bit of tap and the very beginnings of contemporary. So if mm. things had happened differently later, if I'd been born later, I may still have gone into dance into in a different dance. way because you don't have to be as perfect as you do for ballet. No. But I, in many ways, I think... You know, I do love dance, and I've had dance in my life all mm. my life. And I'd like to die dancing, actually. Oh, I've that said is that. I've said that um, but you, in my life. But, but you know but what it doesn't, we need? You know, it's, we, need yeah. we need you to be on Strictly, that's, to represent the archers <laughs> on Strictly. That's what we need. Would you like to do that? Would that be fun? Are you up for that? Shall I speak to the producer instantly when, then when we finish the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> You'd be brilliant. You'd be brilliant. I think oh, we'll take that laugh and say yes, shall we? <laughs> I absolutely. Oh, God, the thought of doing all that, to just be able to devote time to just dancing. I mean, if I had my way, I'd be dancing every day. I'd do something. And I just, it's just something, yeah, love it, love it, love it, love it. But the thought was just my, right. my whole stomach kind of goes, I can't even speak. <laughs> Right, make that oh, phone call. Sonny. I'm going to make, make that, that phone, phone call, call instantly. <gasps> oh, Flick, God. thank you so much. It's just been. I mean, we we should have time for another podcast because there's so much to talk to you about. Yeah. So fascinating. Thank you for giving us the time today because it's just been really, really lovely. Um, yeah. And and I think Jane's just going to say something. I, I can no, just to say an absolute pleasure to meet you and and so thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest. So 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 fascinating and um yeah i just wish we had twice as long oh well thank you so much it's just been lovely lovely to talk to you both and i hope i haven't burbled on too much it's been fantastic <laughs> and will you please give my love to tiger please oh yes of course <laughs> thank you from, from, from yeah absolutely <laughs> lots of love you take care thank yeah. you so and much and to thank you. you bye bye wasn't that fantastic? Oh, it's so was... interesting. You know, all those documentaries um, that she made, uh, features in Rwanda and uh, Afghanistan, just just fascinating. Amazing. I know, I know. And I wanted to ask about, you know, the other documentaries I wanted to ask about. Well, you know, we'll, but we'll get her on another time. We'll, we'll have, to, we'll have yeah. to get her back, I we think. We will get her back. If, we will get her back. if we've not spoiled her completely. Now, I have to go because I've got to ring a producer from Strictly. Uh, yes. about my friend yeah. um, Felicity Finch and I'm also going to see if I can track down those interviews that she did for the Archers <laughs> all those years yes. ago I'm going to try absolutely. and find them absolutely you should get those um, and I think you know maybe you if they're putting if they're putting her on Strictly maybe you might might want to go on as well Sunny just as a <laughs> Sorry. well I, I could go along and hold her handbag but I don't think I'm on the dance floor <laughs> What, what are you going to do now, love? Well, the sun is shining in London. Is it? So, You're uh, very lucky. Well, yeah, the heavy clouds, but I'm going to nip out for a nice walk before it, um, very good. Before very it starts healthy. to peer it down. Very good, very healthy. Yeah. All right, I'll see you very soon. Lots yeah. of love. Take care, darling. Mm-hmm. Loads of love. Bye. 
thanks for listening to our One Stiletto in the Grave podcast. If you'd like to see behind-the-scenes clips and bonus content, please visit our Facebook page, One Stiletto in the Grave podcast. And if you'd like to ask any questions, follow us on Twitter at One Stiletto 65. This podcast is produced by Raggedy House Productions and the music composed by Tom Smith. See you next time. Ha <laughs> ha!